Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix a great animator, rats, and a cheesy-ass song? Why, you get The Secret of Nim. Why, hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And uh, yeah, so this is it for the animation thing. I know the intro says horror. I haven't done horror since December, and we're about to go into March. So uh, yeah, (laughs) this is the last one for a while, I promise. These two episodes were mostly for me. It's movies that I want to talk about, and it's just kind of give me something to, you know, every once in a while bring myself back down after watching a lot of stuff. There's still horror that I've seen, and there's actually stuff that you can go and watch that I've talked about. Um, But I I promise, last one. Last one for a while. Next one, (laughs) I had a little bit of a a coin flip uh, of what I was going to do, and I decided to keep it uh, in the horror realm, but we are going into sci-fi month next month uh with uh hopefully some fun episodes as well but for the time being we are here to talk about the secret of nim now you may be asking yourself this isn't my beautiful house you may be asking yourself that's not my beautiful wife you may be asking yourself why is he talking about the talking heads but i'm not really uh why why am i doing this movie well, again, this is another movie kind of like The Last Unicorn where I really have a big connection to it, to my childhood, and things in it really freaked me out. So there are some really great like little horror-ish things that exist in this movie, especially with the character designs for things like the Great Owl, even Nicodemus, Dragon is really fucking cool and a great design for the, you know, the the house cat. But it it really is that, like, these movies kind of shaped what I really enjoy as, you know, as an adult. It's something, and I think that there's a lot of movies that people watch that they can go back to. Some people, it's comedies. Some people, it is a horror movie that they saw. Like my wife, The Nightmare on Elm Street, the very first one. That is something that's like big on her and her taste in movies too. She saw it so young. Also with Chucky, which she calls Chucky. 
um, you know, child's play. So that was really, those are big things for her. And for me, this is what I grew up watching. I grew up watching these grandiose animated films, and they were films that, like I said in the last episode, uh, I watched on a regular basis all the time, asking them to put it in. And I think for some like thing, my parents kind of also just put it on. But even when my sister and I would stay home like during the summer when we were finally allowed to just be at the house by ourselves, these are movies we would put on well until our teen years. And I've watched these on a regular basis kind of every now and then, even as old as I am. Maybe not as much as I used to even in my like 20s, you know. But I still come back to these films and every now and then I have to watch them. And The Secret of Nim, this is a movie where I really kind of want to take that step back and understand for myself what I really liked about this movie and does it hold up for me looking at it subjectively instead of just nostalgically. And I always fail when I do these. <laughs> I fail so hard because I love them so much. But the, the thing that I really wanted to compare it to was what I looked at last time when I was looking at The Last Unicorn and what I'm looking at it this time with The Secret of Nim. Because literally these two movies are interchangeable for me, at least as I remember in my childhood. I was either watching this or I was watching The Last Unicorn. You know, along with other Disney movies that were out there, you know, we watched things like Pete's Dragon, uh, you know, The Sword in the Stone. That is a huge movie for me. Uh, and it's still really, I saw it recently, like within the last year, and I was very surprised at how much different it was than I remembered as a kid. And I think that it's a lot of things that like, I've kind of like been around when you haven't seen a movie in a while, you're like, oh, oh, and there were things in this movie I was kind of like, oh, oh, like, would that actually fly? <laughs> If you said it in the way it was, or the way the characters are, or, you know, kind of a little bit of everything that goes along with it. So, there isn't a whole lot, unlike our last film, there aren't a whole lot of actors and actresses in this movie that you would recognize. And honestly, like I said in the last review, if you listen to it, um, that with these movies, especially in the 80s and early anime movies, they really didn't get, like, these gonzo, like, celebrity voice casts. You didn't have the movies that had the Justin Timberlakes and Mel Gibsons and all these people that you knew, even though Mel Gibson was in Pocahontas. But that was kind of like the start of everything, I want to say, where they wanted to have one big star that was in it. And... This kind of has it, but it's not really it. Like, this movie's most recognizable star that I will say, kind of, in my opinion, is Dom DeLuise. And Dom DeLuise was criticized in this movie for putting too much of himself into the character of Jeremy. I'm not sure. Again, maybe if I was an adult during that time, I would have been like, oh, okay. But here, Jeremy, the character, is somebody that I really enjoyed watching as a kid. And it reminded me of Spaceballs. So, and Pizza the Hut. I mean, there's tons of shit that Dom DeLuise has done. And he's done a lot of Mel Brooks movies. But I just always remember him as Pizza the Hut. Like, that's the way that I want to remember Dom DeLuise for some reason. I don't want to remember him for, 
you know, all the other roles that he's done. So it's like Secret of Nim and Pizza the Hut, Dom DeLuise, let's go. Uh, <laughs> that would be me saying, like, the only thing I want to remember Gene Wilder for is Blazing Saddles and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Two great roles, and he's done a ton of great movies, but that's where I'm always going to remember him from. Mostly Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but Blazing Saddles is probably my second favorite that he's ever done. Uh, besides Young Frankenstein, of course, and, and <laughs> the plethora of movies that he did with Richard Pryor, right? I, we could go into a lot of different roles. See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Bullet, not Bullet Train, Silver Street. I don't know why Bullet Train came into my mind, but, you know, that's been the... That could be the draw for some people, or at least the comparison that I'm trying to make here, is that, like, these are the movies that I remember watching as I was growing up, and this is where these, like, classic comedians ended up being in. Now, there are a couple other actors and actresses in this movie, nobody that I'm kind of, like, super familiar with. So, Elizabeth Hartman, who plays Mrs. Brisby, um, as well as... Uh, I want to say, I hope I'm saying it right, that it's Hermione, because um, it could be something, but Hermione Badley, uh, who played Auntie Shrew. It's weird for both of them and when I looked them up, because I was like, oh, I wonder what else they did. And then you find out that like this is the last movie both of them did for different circumstances. Uh, Mrs. Bradley, she died just kind of of natural causes uh, in 84, and this came out in 82. But unfortunately, uh, Elizabeth Hartman, she committed suicide, and she, and that was in uh, 85. So it really was like a year later, because I was like looking, I was with my wife, and I was like, oh, hey, cat, you know, uh, can you believe that she died shortly after this movie came out? And I was like, oh, wait, that's not the main actress, because I was like, Man, she would have been really old, like not really old, but she was older. And I'm like, she was still able to do this voice. That's great. She doesn't sound, oh, that's because that's not her. Oh, let's go look at Elizabeth Hartman. And then I clicked on that. And then, you know, she committed suicide. I don't want to mean to laugh. This is like a church laugh on the whole thing. So I'm not like trying to really laugh at the death of a person. It was just weird that that was like what came out. The only other person, there is one other person in this movie that I also didn't realize was actually a voice. And that's Will Wheaton. Uh, if you know him from Star Trek, The Next Generation, uh, he plays Martin, who gets a couple of clips that you'll listen to. And I never really knew it was him. And this was when he was pretty goddamn young. I mean, he's just a few years older than me, so this would have been, like, when he was pretty damn young before he even, you know, got into regular acting. Because I think, at least TV-wise, The Next Generation is really what I remember him from the most. But I think he was also on that C show, which I can't remember the name of, and I'm pretty sure that somebody out there is going to be like, oh, it was this. Um, and I just remember dolphins and a friend of mine was really obsessed with it and I just did not like it. So, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's for another story or is that the whole story? I don't fucking know. Anyway, so this movie is, you know, 
it had a box office or a budget of about seven million dollars and only went to really double it at 14.7 million though it is kind of a critical darling right uh, a lot of people really liked it it holds a i think a 96 percent on rotten tomatoes for uh critics that are out there it was said by most uh like uh i believe it was either Rod- roger ebert or gene siskel i can't remember which one they said that you know it's a good movie gave it three out of five stars uh, but it has kind of a slower first half and then he really got engaged in the second half and one of the biggest criticism was that there's too many minor characters that just kind of get thrown in there and then they're never really talked about again or they're just not interesting enough and didn't necessarily need to be a part of the movie like they make seem like uh, they make a kind of a big deal about the character and then all of a sudden there's not much to really focus on so I kind of want to take that to heart as well as I kind of go through it again. Is this really true? It's a relatively short movie. It's only about an hour and 20 minutes long. I mean, kind of what animation was. And, of course, this is done by the very famous Don Bluth. And if you have never seen one of his movies, uh, you do yourself a favor to at least go back. But most people will remember him for films such as All Dogs Go to Heaven, as well as uh, An American Tale, and I believe also American Tale 5 Goes West. I think it was done also by his studio. It may have been done by somebody else. But this was kind of, I want to say it was his like first feature film that, was, that he actually directed. Um, and... They originally this this is based off of the book Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, but I don't know why they changed it to Brisbee rather than leave it as Frisbee, which is very well. Uh, and reportedly, it had been offered to Disney in 1972, and in 1972 uh, they turned it down. Right, and then it was going to be around in September of 1979. Bluth, along with Gary o- Goldman, I keep wanting to say Oldman whenever I fucking see his name. I'm leaving that in there. Uh, and John Pemeroy, I'm sorry if I fucked that name up. Uh, they ended up, along with eight other animation artists, left and formed Don Bluth Productions. They left Disney, and this was their very first film. And it really shows how much love that has gone into this. Like, they really love the source material and honestly it's beautifully animated and one of the other reviews that i had seen of this when i was kind of like looking through a couple things just to again to have another perspective rather than just kind of like oh this is me was that uh it this is a movie that disney should have wanted and should have done and that says a lot to a small animation studio of only you know uh 11 people that made this masterpiece of a movie for $7 million. And the fact that a giant studio like Disney just rejected the offer to even try to do this. And Disney also at this time was kind of in their lull period where they were doing kind of weird, funky animated movies like the rescuers and the aristocrats, uh, aristocats, I guess you could say, as well as the black cauldron, which was a movie that I thought about doing for the podcast, but maybe we save for later at some other time. Um, and it could honestly be one of my favorite Disney films of all time, even though it's a little cheesy. But nonetheless, I should digress. 
we should get right into the movie. I know I've talked for about 15 minutes like I always fucking do. So, uh, again, I'm going to try to keep this short uh, as most as I can. But let's start off right at the beginning of the movie and let's learn about the death of Jonathan Brisby as told by the head rat in charge, Nicodemus. Jonathan Brisby was killed today while helping with the plan. It is four years since our departure from Nim, and our world is changing. We cannot stay here much longer. Jonathan was a dear friend. I am lost in knowing how to help his widow. She knows nothing of us or the plan. Perhaps best that I do nothing at present. I shall miss him. Jonathan, wherever you are, your thoughts must comfort her tonight. She'll be waiting, and you will not return. So it's absolutely fantastic that it's such a dark and kind of grim setting that you have when you first meet Nicodemus here, right? You don't know that this is Nicodemus, but he's writing in a book. It's honestly, it's really beautifully animated for the you know the early 80s this was animated between 80 and 82 and was released in 82 and there's one thing i forgot to talk about in the beginning i'm going to say it right now because this is kind of you know it's our intro to the whole thing and basically if we were in the the book this would be kind of much later on because the book it, it focuses a lot more on the rats and their time in nim whereas here we're going to hear about it but it's a very short section of the movie. They literally dedicate like five minutes maybe to that. And we're going to listen to like two something of that scene. Because I feel like I did cut the scene in terms of like music and some sound that was in there. But I think it's good to hear it as a whole rather than break it all down into two separate clips. Even though probably I could have. But eh, 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 that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> but the book itself or the, or the original, the first screenplay, which was written by Stephen Barnes, he actually made it closer to what the book was, spending more time there. Uh, whereas this, we're focused mostly on Mrs. Brisby and her plight with her son. Right. And so this is kind of giving us what has previous like previously on the secret of Nim. This is what we're getting, but we're only getting a beginning before the, the credits go. And I love the way the credits come out because it's animated as like bright, like light. You know, if you've ever played the arcade version of Dragon's Lair, there's also like a bunch of different versions. I think you can get it on like your PS4 and PC and all these other laser discs. Uh, I remember a friend that had the Laserdisc version, which was really weird, because I was like, why do you have that to play a game? It's it's odd, but it worked, uh, and it was fully animated by Bluth, right? And it was where you had to hit the direction, and then every once in a while hit the sword button, but the way the kind of transitions went in there, where it was like bright flashes of light, that's kind of how, one, the words are written on the page, like as he brings his quill, it's these 
golden letters that pop up, which force your eyes to really focus on what he's writing and not the decrepit mouse or rat, I should say, that Nicodemus has become because his hands are all like warty and like really sickly. And it's really creepy (laughs) just in general. The character models for most of the things in this movie, especially the older things in the movie, are extremely creepy. And I I absolutely love it for it. And it used to freak me out, especially when we get to the Great Owl. That was also one of the big things that I always hated that scene when I was a little kid. And probably my cousin did it as well, if she even remembers watching this movie with us. Because she never remembers watching any fucking movie that we watched together as kids from the Goonies to like Indiana Jones or whatever we watched as kids. We watched a ton of things together and she doesn't remember any of them. So it's, it's just one of those scenes where it's a big setup. And then we go over to Mrs. Brisby. And when we see Mrs. Brizzy, she's running up on like a weird, like farm contraption. And it kind of looks like a baler is what it is. You know, one of the things where you throw in the hay and then it shoots out a bale of hay after it's kind of got all through it. But it's actually home to a Mr. Ages. And Mr. Ages is the only one that can help her, at least that she understands, from her late husband, Jonathan. Mr. Ages? Is anybody home? Go away! Mr. Ages? What is it? Mr. Ages, may I please speak to you? What? I said, may I please speak... (coughs) With you. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad you're home. (coughs) Confounded machine. You never know when it's going to up and blow. Yes. I don't suppose you would remember me. Yes, you're Mrs. Brisby. And I'm sorry about your husband's death. Now, if you'd excuse me. Mr. Ages! Great Jupiter woman, what do you want? Mr. Ages, I know you don't like visitors, but this is an emergency. Please. (coughs) Madam, that is an emergency. Oh, Mr. Ages, my son Timothy is so sick. Timmy? The one with the spider bite? Uh, oh, just give him some pepsis or No! Can... No, he's sick with a fever. Uh, well, I suppose I could fix up something. Oh, thank you. Uh, follow me, but don't touch anything. Understand? Okay, so it's weird right away that Mr. Ages... When he hears about, you know, little Timmy. And again, there's some of the names in this movie that I'm just like, why does the six per like kid have to be Timmy? You know, oh no, Timmy's like falling down the well. Oh no, Timmy has a sickness. Oh no, Timmy summoned the gates of hell and he's going to bring upon darkness to our society. Like every little kid that has any issue back in like the 50s and 60s was always named Timmy. So it's weird that we have them here. So you have him and when he finds out, he's like, oh yeah, Timmy, the one with the spider bite, uh, just give him some penicillin or some gluten. Like, I, I'm not sure if the last part is gluten, but that's what I hear every fucking time. And I had to rewind it like four or five times to be like, is that really what he said? Uh, but then the first thing is give him some penicillin. Now, this is a fucking mouse, right? 
<laughs> Where the hell is this mouse going to find penicillin? Oh, you know what? Uh, there was that one farmer's market that was over in the marsh, couple you know miles down, and they had some penicillin. It was a you know a, a little like salamander that was selling it, but I'm sure that it's pretty good stuff and not just some random secretion off of his back. In fact, you know what? It might have actually been sold by the snake person, and he said that you have to buy it in this oil form, and that it's gonna work for Timmy. I mean, it can't possibly be poison, and he's not following me home to eat the rest of my family, is he? Like, where the fuck are you going to get penicillin if you're a goddamn mouse? I get it. Brian, this is fiction. I totally understand. But it still seems kind of ridiculous. But when you find out about the whole thing with Nim and the rats, and including Mr. Ages, spoiler alert, that it makes sense why he would think this way. But also, kind of to us, the audience, we would kind of think the same thing. Oh, okay, well, it's medicine. So, yeah, it's going to work. Like, it wouldn't be weird that an animal would be like, oh, yeah, get this. But then when he finds out that it's a fever, he's like, oh, he's got pneumonia. So, okay, I guess I can help you. I mean, he's kind of a dick. Mr. Ages, in general, is mostly a dick until, like, the end of the movie. But because this is Jonathan's wife, right away, he's just like, okay well i'll help i totally understand it and so now we go and and i really want to know what he does with this machine because he's like oh sick kid that's not as important as all this and you're like well what's what's this you're, you're in like the belly of a machine that doesn't work anymore like is there something that's bigger that's going on here or what the fuck is going on right and as you go down, like, they go in the basket and they go start going down to it, that's when you see, yeah, there is a lot more that's going on than meets the eye of just a broken down machine that a farmhand uses out here in the country. There is a whole, like, scientific lab that he's got set up. And it's weird because I know that this is much later than, than <laughs> this movie is, but it reminds me of Pinky and the Brain, like, when you're watching the intro and they're walking through and they go through, like, behind the glass beakers and their heads get bigger and stuff. And all I could think is Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. That must mean he's the genius and she happens to be insane, which, uh, <laughs> based on the voice actress, uh, that's not far off. But, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, you know, uh, it, and I'm sorry if I made that joke, but uh, it's right there. So, <laughs> you you have them walking through, and she's just amazed, like, she's never seen any of this stuff, but for some reason, she knows to go to this guy, and there's where there's a little bit of a disconnect i think with the film since we're focusing so much on mrs brisby we're missing something really major when it comes to how does she know that her kid is sick like we start off right away her kid's sick right and she knows exactly where to go but she doesn't know anything else like this is the guy that her husband said if you ever need anything go to mr ages he might be a little of a prick but he's going to save your life. And then she went. Like, I really wish that we had more than just what Nicodemus wrote down on the paper. Guess this is what I'm kind of trying to say here. So she continues on. They go past. And then he mixes up a little bit of a special powder that he has to give or she has to give to Timmy uh, as he explains here. <clears throat> Your son has pneumonia. Pneumonia? It's not uncommon, but you can die from it. Oh, please, dear God, no. Your son must stay in bed. Bundle him up. 
Not to go outside. But how long? Uh, must... Three weeks. Uh, it cannot be moved for at least three weeks. But moving day is nearly here. You asked my advice and I gave it to you. I'm sorry. He must stay in bed. Now mix this, uh, this, this powder in a broth and make him drink it. It'll bring down the fever. Oh, bless you, sir. Bless yourself. You'll need it. Now, you must excuse me. Uh, you know the way out. Oh, uh, of course. Thank you once again. Oh, shoo, shoo, shoo. Go on now. Go on. Thank you so much. I love the way that he works because he does show that he does somewhat care, right? He knows that she needs the help. But, you know, when she's trying to be, like, nice and thank him and, like, oh, my God, thank you so much, he's just like, whatever, you're the one that's going to need the help, just fucking do this, and, oh, yeah, the moving people are company, like, <laughs> you know, it's it's moving day, you don't really know what this is, but you find out, so it's like, well, make sure that you move your fucking family, well, Timmy can't move, it's three weeks, well, that's your fucking problem, you're going to have to figure out how to get around it, and that's really what a lot of the movie is going to be centered on, spoiler alert, once again. I'm sorry that I'm ruining so much of the movie that we're going to talk about later on right now, but this is not a very long movie, so maybe it's not a very long podcast. Uh, <laughs> it leads itself to more spoilers here in the beginning. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I know I'm going to fucking talk about this for a really fucking long time. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's great, too, at the end, just how kind of like flippant and how much he's passing off on her and he like shoves her kind of out pushes her along and then all of a sudden you have uh you know he closes the door on her as she's saying thank you and everything on the walls is like keep out keep away go away nothing here it's just like okay so dude just wants to be left to himself but you never really understand why until again later on in the film so Mrs. Frisbee, Mrs. Brisby, I should say, uh, she starts to go along and she's taking her little pouch of medication and as she's going along, she starts hearing some weird noises and this is where we're first introduced to Jeremy. Now, Jeremy is a crow, Jeremy is a klutz, and Jeremy is completely wrapped in string and Jeremy also always thinks with his fucking dick. Is everything all right here? What the... Oh, lady, don't sneak up on me like that. I didn't mean to frighten you. Oh, <laughs> you didn't frighten me. I was just sort of working out. <laughs> you just broke my concentration. That... You look more like you're all tangled up. Uh, yeah, I guess that's enough exercise for one day. <laughs> Besides, I'm really after this terrific string. I'm working on a love nest for two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I see. You have a girl. Well, not really. I mean, I haven't found Miss Wright yet. But when I do, the whole world will hear us singing. Excuse me, pardon me. <coughs> well, you keep making all that noise and Dragon will hear you. If he hasn't already. Wouldn't you sing too? I mean, if you felt... <laughs> if you felt the call of the wild, but... I would... I would not, but if I knew there was a cat nearby. But, but she's out there, somewhere. And when I find her, I'll feel it way down in my wishbone. I, what cat? Dragon. He belongs to Farmer Fitzgibbons. Look towards the house. See if you can see him. Oh! Come on, back down here. He'll see you for 
for sure up there. Hey, there's a cat out there. Quiet. Does he see you? No. <laughs> yes. Stand perfectly still. Everything's fine. He's headed right for us. Now, it's kind of a weird bit of casting that you have Dom DeLuise here. And even Goldman thought that this was probably the weirdest person cast in the movie and like i said some people really feel that dom de louise puts more of himself instead of being a character or the character being like uh, him transforming into the character is more of what i'm trying to say and it being more like you're just watching him and even in the way that the, the character is animated like it's a very friendly but clumsy it has a lot of dom de louise's slapstick kind of drawn into the character and i really like that I, as a kid, this character was not necessarily my favorite. It's kind of like that wacky kind of, you know, like if I have to compare it to anything and, and I know that like Dave would maybe yell at me, I don't know, but it's like the genie from Aladdin, right? It's, there's always in these Disney movies, there's always one comedic character that's a little outlandish. And here, that's kind of Jeremy, not really. Like, you could throw Jeremy out of this movie, and it wouldn't fucking matter. Like, there would be no reason to keep him in the movie, unlike, say, the genie in Aladdin, where that is a big character for that movie. Here, he's over the top in certain ways, but you could also just get rid of him. Like, he only serves one purpose, and that's going to come up in really a little bit. Otherwise, he's just kind of there. Like, they don't necessarily need to have him to really move this story along. Now, if he was bigger in the book, that's great. But here, he's not really any bigger than we meet him here, and there's this interaction now with Dragon the Cat, and then what he does for her later on in the film. He's very kind, he's very good-natured, but he's a complete fucking idiot. Which, I think, again, fits Dom DeLuise. <laughs> it just works. Like, that's the character that I see. A lot of the times in, in the movies that, like, in the roles that I can remember, he's either like a shyster, right? He's really, like, kind of crooked, but he's very comical. He's done some straight roles, but most of the time he's comedic relief, pretty much. But here it's more like the good-natured roles that he's done where he's just kind of aloof and he's just funny right and that's really what we get out of jeremy for the film now jeremy he's an idiot because like when she's like get down the cat will see you you don't want to be caught by the cat uh he goes up to the top still covered in fucking string like how he managed to do all this with the string right he's building a love nest on a piece of driftwood first that's not going to get you any chicks right because chicks don't want to live on a freaking piece of driftwood especially if they're bird chicks right is that is that redundant bird chicks Nah, 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 it'll work. Uh, so especially when you have those types of like relationships you want, she's going to want like a tree that's far away from everything that'll protect the eggs that she's going to lay that you're going to, you know, fertilize for, you know, birth. Instead, you're building it in the middle of like a bog on a piece of driftwood and you can't even make a fucking like dish type shape. Or a nest shape. It's just all over the fucking place. And he's all tangled up. And like hanging from the edge of the piece of driftwood. Easy prey for a cat. So he sees Dragon in the distance. And Dragon is jumping after the other birds and animals that are in the brush. 
and he keeps getting closer and closer and eventually you hear noises inside the driftwood as jeremy's looking down and then middle of nowhere a rabbit comes out almost like a jump scare because they're looking and it comes by really fast the music comes in it's great I love the way the scene progresses. And then there's a laugh between him and Mrs. Brisby in that, you know, oh my God, I can't believe that it was a rabbit. And as they're laughing there, especially him, he's like, oh, if it would have been a cat, I would have had an allergic reaction to it. And then all of a sudden he starts sneezing and then Dragon is coming up from the side of the screen. And the way that Dragon looks is really cool. It's it's a big kind of fat cat, like <laughs> almost like fat cat and the rescue rangers but it's got two different colored eyes and it looks like one of them is probably blind because it's pure blue and he's got like a battle scar and he just looks really menacing and i really love the way that he's designed and i love the way the characters all move too because mrs brisby really feels like you're looking at a rat or a mouse uh in the way that she moves around and with jeremy he really moves like a crow he's got the bow legs and the way that he kind of steps and his head moves ever so slightly but at the same time they also have very human movements to match the voice actors that are playing them as well like i said i really feel like i'm looking at dom de even though not necessarily in the size but in the movements and kind of like the facial expressions that he does i don't really know anything that elizabeth hartman has been in and so it's kind of like one of those weird things that it's more about the way that she moves like a human or like a, a woman would uh, in, in these scenes, especially when he, she's interacting with her kids or she's like really scared. I, I like the way they did the animation for those those little moments. So all of a sudden, Dragon comes. He attacks. They both manage to barely get away from the cat uh, with him being dunked in the water. And, you know, but in the process... Mrs. Brisby, she loses the little paper packet that has the medicine. And then they end up in the old mill, and Jeremy comes upon her crying. And, and first, he's really, and like, I really wanted to include more in this scene. I'm just including kind of the ending of this scene. But he really wanted to, like, <laughs> she's, like, crying over the fact that she lost this shit. And he's more like, <laughs> wasn't I brave? That's going to make me a good man for somebody, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that the way that I can get women if I'm fucking brave? Can't I dip my dick in something if I look like I'm a great person? Like, he's really focused just on getting the fucking ladies. And instead, there's a lady in front of him that is crying her eyes out because she lost the medication to <laughs> save her son, who could possibly die from pneumonia, according to, you know, her, like, husband's old friend. And it's like aren't you you need to be a little more sensitive about things but of course he does have exactly what she needs but what's funny about this clip as it gets past that part like what he says to her towards the end of it in terms of like relationship advice which i think the response is pretty fucked up my name is jeremy i'm mrs brisby thanks again i have to go home now uh, where's home? In the garden patch, by the stone. Well, do you like me? Of course I like you. Bye now. No, I mean, I, I mean, um, I mean, you don't think I'm clumsy or anything. What? Nope. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Pardon me. Ah, uh, well, 
If you're going to feather a nest, you've got a lot to learn about how to treat a lady. Right. When you're right, you're right. And you're right. None of the girls I meet want to get serious. I doubt they'd survive. Huh? Maybe it's my approach. Say, you were a girl once. You could teach me how to, uh, you know, how to... Behave yourself? I'm not that bad. I just need a few pointers to polish my style. Jeremy, I have got to go home. Well, uh, uh, let me... What? Let me fly you home. We can talk on the way. Oh, <laughs> no, thank you. I'm afraid of heights. Okay, then we'll walk. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> so she just wants nothing more to do with him. And it's really weird that he asks the first, the first phrase is, do you like me? Like, this is some type of interspecies erotica that's going to fucking happen. Like, well, if I can't get with a bird and this mouse really likes me, then maybe I can make a nest for this mouse and then we can see where things go. And it's like, no, nah, that's, it's not really going to work, Jeremy. Um, especially, you know, she's probably like a middle-aged mouse. She has kids, you know, have you ever taken care of mammals before in your life? Like, do you want to be stuck with that responsibility? You're never going to be able to have your own kids. I mean, that's fine for some people. Some people just don't want to fucking have kids as it is. So, you know, but can you really take care of another species kids just fine? And she doesn't like flying either. So it's not really going to work, Jeremy. I'm really sorry about that. But then he's like, and this line that kills me on this, you were a girl once. Like, I know what he's saying, but it's such a fucked up response to somebody. Like, you know, you can help me, like, get the girls because, hey, at one point you were a girl, but now you're just an old fucking hag and nobody wants you. you got, you're got dried up. You have, you're stuck with three kids. Oh, I'm sorry, four kids, one of which is a sick. And, but you remember what it was like to go chase tail when you were young, don't you? Don't you? You can give me pointers. Like, it's, it's so messed up because she doesn't even seem like she's that old. And honestly, like, if I were going to put her in rat years, I'd say she was probably in her, like, late 20s, right? Early 30s if we're going to, well, again, mouse years. It's fucked up because I kept thinking about her as a rat because everybody else in this movie besides Mr. Ages is a rat and Auntie Shrew, which we'll meet in just a moment. But it, it's still... You just, you have Jeremy here, and he's nice enough. He saw that she dropped the the little packet that had the medicine, and he just pulls out, here you go. But he really needs that advice to figure out what's going on and to, like, how can he get him some? How can he get himself a lady? And everybody, I guess he wants to be a family man. He wants to settle down, but none of these hoes that are out there, they just want to, you know, fucking leave. And he doesn't want that shit. So here we go. <laughs> he needs Mrs. Brisby here to help him get the lady that he wants. Uh, it's so messed up. And it's weird, too, when we get to the end of the movie, because I don't know if he ever gets what he wants, uh, but we can talk about it when the time comes. So she continues on, and as she's going home, that's where we get back into, you know, the home of Mrs. Brisby and her kids. And, you know, Timmy, he's busy sleeping. And then we have the other, you know, ones that are there, which is Martin and uh, Cynthia as well as Teresa. And I think Teresa, who 
now I'm learning this now too. Wow, this is weird. That's actually played by Shannon Doherty, uh, who you may remember uh, from some things as uh, Little House in the Prairie, Maggie, uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Our House, and Heather's, uh, as well as a lot of other roles that you probably remember her from as well. So you have her, you know, being kind of the one that's in charge and. Then you have Auntie Shrew show up because Auntie Shrew is the one that's in charge of making sure that when the the great move or whatever the pilgrimage or where the fuck they want to call it, basically they're getting close to harvest time and they live in the fields. So when it's time to harvest the fields, everybody needs to move so that way they don't get fucking killed. And so it's her job to let everybody know that that's coming up soon. And that's when Auntie Shrew comes over and has a nice little interaction with the kids because she can't find, you know, Mrs. Brisby around anywhere. And that's where we get my favorite scene with, uh, well, Martin. Brisby! Brisby! Oh, Auntie Shrew! Oh, Auntie! Oh, no. Brisby! She'll wake up Timothy! Brisby! She's not here! Brisby! Why is she always coming around here, poking her nose in where she's not wanted? Martin! <sighs> Thank you, child. I must speak with your mother. Your auntie is exhausted. Why me? That I alone should be responsible for the welfare of the entire field is monstrous. Brisbane! Mother isn't here. Auntie Shrew, Timmy's sick. Cynthia, dearest, don't bore me. She's not here. She left you children alone, then. I'm old enough. Rats in the field up to heaven knows what kind of mischief. Cynthia, dear, don't fidget. You're so like your mother. I ain't scared of nothing. She went to see Mr. Ages. Two ages? That old flim-flam. Whatever for. Auntie Shrew... Timmy's sick. Patience, my pet. Why do ages? Timmy's sick. Timothy is very ill. Timmy ill? How dreadful. I'm not afraid of the dark. What? I'm not afraid of the farmer. I can't hear. I'm not even scared of a dragon. I'm not even afraid of, of, of the great owl. Will you hush up? I, you hush up. Oh, Precocious monster. Bossy bullfrog. Spoiled brat. Loudmouth. Oh, I just, I love the interaction between those two because Auntie Shrew comes in as almost like a British nanny, right? Which is leading to the voice actress that's playing her in this scene. It's, it's really well done because you're annoyed by the character at the same time. She's got like words of wisdom that you have to listen to, but she won't listen to anybody else. It seems like all the other people that are like ancillary characters that are around Mrs. Brisby, not necessarily the rats themselves. They're actually seem to be better people. Well, except for one or, or couple, uh, than the people that she's around constantly. Right. And I don't know if Mr. Aegis is really in her life, but he's kind of rude as well, but they all seem like the other animals all seem to be more about themselves and self-preservation where when it comes to the rats, because of what Jonathan's done, which we'll learn a little later, they're more like willing to help and be caring to her with, again, the exception of one. Uh, 
and you have just her like lamenting about how oh i can't believe i'm in charge of everybody here and it's like okay well were you elected did you have to do it like is there somebody else that can because you could always give up the title if you want to but she seems so self like self-centered that she needs to have that as well like she's complaining it's it's first world problems here like i have the power to do this but oh my god why do i have to do this why do i have to do this at all i can't believe this This is so terrible i don't want to do this at all and that's just kind of the person she is and martin here basically puts in her fucking place but cynthia the youngest out of all of them she keeps trying to tell her hey timmy's sick that's why mom's not here and because she's the youngest she's just like don't no okay i'm gonna speak to the only one that i want to talk to which is the oldest because hey you know little bitch you need to get the fuck out of here and just leave me the fuck alone uh you're ruining my shit my my shit looks really good right now and you're tugging on me so scoot scoot away scoot away so why is your mom not here oh shut the fuck up stop trying to tell me that somebody's sick all right, Teresa, tell me what's going on. Teresa's sick. Oh, my God. That's why your mom's not here? Well, why didn't you tell me? Ugh, so fucking annoying. But then Martin comes out and basically calls her an old hag, and she can't respond to that. But Mrs. Brisby eventually does come home. They explain that the moving's going to happen pretty soon, and she explains, well, Timothy, he can't move because he's sick, and until he gets better, he's been told not to move, you know, that we we can't really do it and hopefully he's better before that time comes and of course auntie shrewd does berate her about the fact that her kids are you know brats even though martin's the only one that was speaking back and martin was only doing that because she wouldn't listen and he's absolutely sick of it and she just needs to get out of his space which i totally agree with i think that she's like she doesn't realize how rude she's being because they're kids but then she you know is rude directly to mrs brisby as well so from there we go over and we see that mrs brisby has now prepared the broth has put the medicine inside the broth and she's gone to feed timothy and so when she goes over there a song starts super cheesy it's kind of what you hear in the beginning that is with the melody that was the main theme of the movie and you're gonna hear it twice once at the end and once at the end when of course kids have no filter and they're wondering if timothy is going to survive the whole you know ordeal that he's going through is timmy gonna die no sweetheart he's just very sick what's the matter with the other mr h has called it pneumonia Oh, yeah. Will he get better? Soon, I hope. As you wish, as you will, dream a flying start. Love and care, the power's there. Trust your heart. It's beautifully sung i'm not gonna get that you know take that away from it and it, it is a good song it's just really freaking cheesy especially when the main chorus is love is the key love is the key which is foreshadowing for something later that happens in the movie but nonetheless uh you get more singing from me in this <laughs> episode of the podcast 
I should stay away from animated movies altogether because I'll probably be able to sing most of the songs that are out there and people that don't want to hear me sing uh, will be stuck with it. So <laughs> it's it's really crazy. Like just that it's the only like song for an animated film at this time. I feel like, especially since Disney was a majority of the ones that were out there, there's always some sort of music number that has to be in the film or it has to be centered around music. And for most of this movie, we get absolutely none of that until we get this little scene. And then there's absolutely none of it. It's like, we need to put at least one song in the movie, so we're going to do it at this part, which is going to be a very ham-fisted way of shoving something down your throat that later on you're going to understand because of something that they talk about. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, remember that song? That's exactly why that's written on the back, and it's the reason why somebody can use this and somebody can't. So... From here, we go over to the farmstead, and we see that there's something kind of going on in the attic of the house, and then we actually get to meet some of the human characters, where they actually explain, and this is the only time in the movie, that you're going to actually learn what NIM stands for. Dear, a man came by today from NIM. NIM? Yes, you know, the National Institute of Mental Health. He was asking if we had noticed anything strange with the rats on the farm. Well, I said no, nothing unusual. Beth, I have to get up early. Oh, it gave me goosebumps to hear him carry on that way. Like the rats might have some horrible disease. I, I told him you'd call him back. Mm -hmm. So NIM stands for the National Institute of Mental Health. Uh, and it sounds like it's something that is relatively good, but we learned that NIM is actually something relatively bad, especially when it comes to the rats and we'll we'll talk about that when the scene actually plays through but at the same time that we're kind of learning a little bit about nim we see the rats have stolen some extension cords and they're coming down from the house and they're going into the rose bush and then the rose bush begins to light up because as we learn later on that the rats have actually been stealing electricity directly from the farmhouse and from the humans now we cut back over to the next day and we see that there's some noise that are that's going on out in the field. Mrs. Brisby wakes up, goes outside and she checks on what it could be. And she sees that the farmer has started his plow and that moving day officially is here. And what's really weird to me when we look at this little scene is the fact that she's so worried about moving her house but she lives in like a cinder block, right? And if she's so worried about what the farmer is going to do, the farmer's not going to run over the cinder block if everybody stays inside. Like it's not, I mean, I don't know how powerful the farm equipment is, okay? Maybe I'm totally wrong and that if it were to hit that cinder block, it would just tear it to fucking shreds, scoop it all up, and nobody would give a shit. Like, is it that brittle that it's just going to be destroyed by the plowing equipment? It may. Or... In my mind, if it's really structurally sound, then it might actually destroy that piece of equipment or not get damaged at all. Maybe some minor damages. Maybe she loses like a roof and then she has to get a contractor out there and they're going to spend two to three weeks, you know, bidding the whole job out. Then she's going to manage to get some mud and put it together herself. So at least the kids don't have to be in the rain when the roof collapses. So, you know, that's a possibility that could be going on with the whole thing. But 
you know, she rushes to go and stop the machine and Auntie Shrew goes along with her. Now, like I said, like the character herself, at least when we first meet her, seems very self-centered, but she's willing to go out there and help Mrs. Brisby. So I guess she's a better character than I originally thought. So she, they go out there, they go on to the big plow and they're in there, but Mrs. Brisby, she just freezes. Like she doesn't know how to deal with the technology, but the auntie shrew, she realizes that she could cut the fuel line. So she goes in there she pulls out one of the tubes from the fuel line. It leaks all of the fuel. They get away. And then that's where, you know, they are basically safe. The farmer himself gets pissed off because he's like, man, the fuel line's been cut. But it really hasn't been cut. It's just been unplugged. And it looks like that's something that could be easily fixed. Like within the next day or so. Maybe he has to go in town and get the part. Or the part's right there. It's not really destroyed. She didn't bite through it or anything like that. So it's odd that he can't just go get some fuel. Plug it up. And then you know do some more rat shish kebabs like he was planning to do anyway. Or animal shish kebabs with all the plow and stuff like that. And you would think that. He would know there's a lot of animals that live in his fields, and maybe that's why he has dragon. Or he's just like, well, you know what? Food stuff can have, you know, 20% animals in it, so uh, it's okay. This corn, it's just going to have to have a couple of, you know, rat bodies and a shrew and uh, maybe like a pelican that happens to be out there. I don't know how the fuck the pelican got here, but that thing's going to get chopped up. You know, pelican slurry is very fucking like healthy for you if you have it in the right dose. A teaspoon a day, you know, keeps the doctor away when it comes to uh, pelican slurry. So... He goes off pissed off because his, you know, thing's been damaged. And then we have Auntie Shrew and Mrs. Brisby. They talk and she basically puts it onto her that, hey, you know what? You're going to have to take care of this. And there's only one thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go and see the great owl. And that's where we get good old Nicodemus spying in on the whole situation, too, and giving us some more like third-person omniscient narrator vibes going on here in the clip. The great owl would know what to do about this. You must go see him. I couldn't do that. Owls eat mice. Well, my child, show a little courage. We're fighting for Timmy's life. Clonathan, your wife, I fear, is in desperate trouble. A visit to the Great Owl may indeed be profitable. Go to the Owl then, Mrs. Brisby. Go there. So she calls up her friend Jeremy and they decide to fly over to the Owl. It's weird that we get these little scenes with Nicodemus like he's all-knowing. And he really is just kind of watching things play out. Like he knows where things are going to go. And it's, it's odd that we have these little scenes. You know, we get the one in the very beginning as almost like we're him watching over how the movie is moving along. Like he knows that she's got trials and tribulations, but she has to face her own like fears. And then that's going to make her a better person overcome it and then maybe he's going to help if she can meet these trials but it's weird because you can think that but they don't explicitly like say it and i'm not saying that the movie has to say it i just wish 
that if we were going to get these like little bits of Nicodemus watching Mrs. Brisby, that we get them more often than what are actually happening in the movie. Cause it seems like we go through like a half an hour. We've had one. And now here's the second one when, you know, she has to go see the gray owl and is anti shrew part of it. Don't fucking know because they never really kind of mentioned that. And I feel like there's something that may have been in the books that may have given you that. And the fact that, you know, we are missing like a whole beginning of the book that we're only going to learn a little bit about, or at least we're not, we don't have a big focus on that section and how, you know, how even the great owl plays into the whole thing. Like, why is he the great owl? Why does she need to go to him? And, you know, and even, Mrs. Brisby says the owl eats mice. Why the hell am I going to go there? And it's like, why would you go there? Why would you send her there? It doesn't make any sense why this would happen other than you want to get rid of Mrs. Brisby here. Like I'm setting you up to get eaten so that way I don't have to deal with your family and the farmer can just plow them over and we can move on. But that's not the case as well, right? That's just weird speculation. Or is it? Huh. Yeah, that would be the perfect plan. Just go ahead and kill her. Then then you don't have to worry about the kids. Kids have to fend for themselves. Timmy dies. And it's the perfect plan for murder. I mean, um, uh, so she calls up Jeremy and they go flying over to the great owl. And she's like, I don't know how you convinced me to do this, but you need to get there. And the owl is definitely not, you know, on the ground somewhere. He's up in the trees with those monchichis. Okay. And so she makes it over to where the bird is. And of course, Jeremy doesn't go inside, especially when they show up. Like he looks into the cave and he's like, hello, hello. Well, I guess nobody's here like that joke. And then all of a sudden you hear the great owl saying, come on in. Like if you're here and you need to see me get inside the cave. And the scene is really like creepily done well. And this is where, like I said, my cousin wouldn't like this scene because there's this giant spider as she's walking through and everything's just kind of dark. There's mouse bones everywhere. Like, I don't think that you could do this scene nowadays because too many people be like, well, you're going to scare my kids. Whereas me, I was like, man, this is really fucking cool. Like the way everything looks like, look at all the skulls on the on the ground over here. Do you think we're going to get skeleton mice attacking people? Like, is there going to be like a clash of the Titans or Jason, the Argonauts thing going on here? The great owl is great and powerful, has all this magic, animates all these mice people for him. They get their shields and their swords. And then Mrs. Brisby, she's going to have to learn the power that comes in. And she's going to start shooting fucking lightning bolts from her finger. And then she's going to be like Emperor Palpatine. No, they're just there to be creepy. Like, <laughs> it's it's not going to be like that cool. But it's still, like, fucking great. Like, I love the way the setting is. And the spider, it just moves so slowly. And you see the eyes. And it's preying on Mrs. Brisby. And then as it's going to go and get its, like, webbing on her, I guess. I'm not sure what spider's, like, he's going to leg her. He's going to, like... And well, he could bite her and put venom in her or something like that. But then she'd be a symbiote. And, you know, we can't have that. You can't have a symbiote, Miss Brisby. So... Before the spider gets her, that's when the big claw of the great owl comes down and squashes it. 
and it's great. And you have this big, imposing owl free, like creature that's there with these big yellow eyes, and he's just covered in spider webs. Like he doesn't take the time to even try to like clean himself. You've got company coming over. You could have at least taken a shower or at least taken the spider webs off your body. But again, he's super old with the giant like Fu Manchu like gray beard that's going on down to the ground and he's got the big booming voice especially in the scene where we see the owl and mrs brisby meet for the very first time why have you come please for, forgive me for disturbing you but my son's life is in great danger plow has come early this year. Move your family. Yes, I would move, but Timothy has pneumonia. He can't even get out of bed. You must move to a place where it'll be safe from the plow. Please, there must be another way. There is no other way. I must bid you good evening, Mrs... Mrs. Brisby. Brisby? Mrs. Jonathan Brisby? Why, yes. He was my husband. But how do you know about him? That is not important. I will say this. His name is not unknown in these woods. Please, sir. I'll do anything to save Timmy. Anything. There is a way. Go to the rats. But I don't know any rats. In the rose bush. Oh, yes. Near the farmhouse. Go there. Ask for Nicodemus. Nicodemus? But how can they help? They must move your house to the lee of the stone. No rat could move my house. It's... They have ways. I don't understand, but I will do as you say. It is night. I must go. And then he died on the way back to his home planet. No, it's... It's one of these scenes, and I think this is what the the reviewers were talking about with characters that suddenly show up and then they're completely gone. Like, they make a deep, big deal about the great owl, right? And it's awesome to see him. It's animated beautifully, the way that he moves around, the eyes, how he opens his eye really wide when he learns that he, he that's the wife of Jonathan. And it sucks that you never get to learn Mrs. Brisby's first name. Like, I wish they had named her, like, if her name was, like, Esther or something like that. And then this is Esther Brisby, and they just called her Esther for most of the movie. But she's defined specifically by her husband. And this is one of those things where I'm kind of like, uh... Would this necessarily fly? Maybe I'm looking too much into it on this, you know. But I, I think that the reason that she's defined by her husband because of what he did for everybody, and including the great owl, but nobody really knows. 
Like, you don't learn any backstory about the great owl. Why is he the great owl? Where did he come from? Has he always been here? Was he involved with Nim in the way that the rats were? Uh, has he, you know, does he, did he gain knowledge from something else? Like, I want to know more about this. Even if you just said a little bit and why everybody respects the great owl so much right? Even the kids know about Martin mentions the great owl. Cause he's not afraid. He's like, I'm not even afraid of the great owl. And it's like, well, yeah, he's super imposing. He's an owl. I'll eat mice. So that'll be the reason why, but there's another bigger thing here that we're missing. And I really wish we actually had that information for this movie. I know that you're running with a limited time and a limited budget and you want to tell just Mrs. Brisby's story for the whole thing. But at the same time, these are characters that I want to know more of. Like you can get rid of Jeremy. Jeremy's main purpose really is just to get her to the great owl because she doesn't have a way there and she gets convinced to fly to where the great owl is. So why don't we have just a little bit more of a backstory for this character? Even if it's just like Nicodemus in that scene, like where he's looking on her. Yes, you must go see the great owl. Why doesn't he just have like a flashback or something that there's the great owl there, but there's something that Jonathan did to earn his respect. And even we learn about, you know, what happened with the rats and Nim, maybe there could have been something in there too, but I understand that when you're trying to tell this specific story, but you want to contain this important character of the book that you may have to make some sacrifices and learning what the great owl exactly is, is one of those sacrifices where we could have done without this character too. get rid of Jeremy, get rid of the whole thing of the great owl. Just say, you know, you need to find the rats and because of your husband, you'll be able to make it through. So you have him, you know, tell her to go. I love the ending too. He's like, it is nighttime. I must go. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So she now has to go to the rose bush and find the rats of Nim. And when she arrives over there, there's somebody that meets her at the same time. But guess what? He's in disguise. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. Oh. Jeremy? What on earth? I'm in disguise. Jeremy, please. Shut up. I'm trying to find the entrance, and these thorns are very dense. Here, let me help you. Ow, he's out! Be quiet. They'll hear you. I've got to find this Nicodemus before the farmer gets that tractor fixed. I'll keep a lookout. Well, you are. You're going to get us both killed. I don't see anybody coming. If you really wanted to help me, you'd go away. Why, that's very brave of you, Mrs. Spears, but I can't. But I can't. But I can't leave you here alone. Why, if anything were to happen, or think think of the children. That's it. Huh? That's what? Jeremy, someone strong should be protecting my children in case that tractor starts up again. Oh, in case the tractor... Hey! How about me? Oh, would you? Yes, yeah, sure. That'll be terrific practice. Girls can't resist a guy who's good with kids. You know, domestic type. Play games, help out domestic. Yes. Yes, domestic. Now, whatever you do, 
Don't tell them where I am. My lips are sealed, Mrs. Briz. Bye. Good luck with the rats. And then there's a little comedic scene because a dragon is sleeping out there. The farmer's wife calls him a lazy fucking cat, which she should just be calling him a cat because that's what cats do. And then he like trips and falls and falls in the arms of dragon and then sneezes himself away. And dragon gets blamed for the blouse that he's using as a quote unquote disguise, which come on, you see a blouse just kind of moving around be like, Oh, that's nothing. It's just sitting over there. Okay. I'll just move along and go over to this area and look and see what's going on over here. Continue with my laundry. Uh, it's just kind of a weird little scene. This is just one of those like little comedic scenes and you can see how Mrs. Brisby can play Jeremy like a fiddle because once again, he's thinking with his dick all the time because he has the call of the wild and you know, Oh, why don't you go take care of my kids? Even though they probably don't need his type of supervision and you know, that gets him out of her hair like perfectly. And she does. And she goes and finds the entrance into the rose bush. And as we go in again, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's it's very like, you know, foreboding what she's going through, especially when the tree itself seems to be alive. Because as she starts walking through the entrance that she found, the thorns come and make like a, a door, not a real door, but they basically block the exit. And now she's trapped inside the rosebush. And the only way that she has to go is go forward. And she keeps seeing darker things until eventually she reaches a clearing where you see this beautiful landscape. You see like there's water in there and there's this like white like almost like palace type entrance as she gets closer we meet brutus and brutus is this guard rat that just starts attacking her and he's got like this like electrified like spear that he's not trying to kill her he's just trying to scare her off and it honestly is another very imposing character because he's basically blacked out you can't really make out what he is other than he's a rat and that he's wearing armor and he's attacking her and eventually he does scare her off like he just does it enough like stabbing in front of her so she jumps back and has to get away and eventually she does find a place to hide. She's panicked because she needs to see Nicodemus because she has to save her family. And then all of a sudden, who does she run into but Mr. Ages once again? Oh. Who goes there? Me. Mrs. Brisby? What are you, what are you doing here? Oh. oh, thank goodness it's you. Who in thunder did you get in here? The plow has come early to the field. Well, you had better march straight back out the way you came. I can't bring Timothy out. The chill in the air will kill him. That's another matter. That doesn't explain what you're doing here. And that here. big rat chased me away. But I must see Nicodemus. The owl told me to see Nicodemus. Oh, yes, perhaps you should... You should uh, the owl said? Here now, what owl? What are you talking about? I went to see the great owl. The owl? You say you saw the owl? Yes. And he said I should ask for Nicodemus. I, I, yes, I, I know Nicodemus. He lives with the rats. More specifically, he's the leader of the rats. You know him? No one has ever seen the owl and lived to tell about it. Please, could you take me to see Nicodemus? Uh, well, uh, 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 yes. 
Okay, again, it's really weird here because Mr. Aegis says nobody has seen the owl and has lived to tell about it. But Jonathan obviously has some type of experience with the owl because the owl knew who Jonathan was. And Mr. Aegis knows Jonathan. So he wasn't with him at the time or nothing about what the connection between those two are. And again, I wish that we weren't left in the dark about it. Like, it would be fine for him not to know. I don't need him to know anything about the owl. I don't need him to ever know that Jonathan did and everything. I just want to know why is the owl so revered and why is he so, like, like scary to these people? Like, what did he do? Did, like, he come in and he was killing a bunch of the rats you know, at some point and he just, because he comes at night and he grabs and he feeds and Jonathan was able to fight him off and that gained the owl's respect. Like, is that it? Did he get a truce with the owl for the people that are in the farm? But he hasn't because he still goes out at night and basically kills and eats at night. That's at least what he's trying to say. So again, I just, I really want to know, like I, I can create a whole backstory in my head for what it is, but I won't know if it's true or not unless I, you know, read the book. And so, and maybe even in the book, it doesn't. And I I haven't read the book before. I'm going to say this. I haven't said this earlier. I, I really haven't. And maybe it's something I need to go back in and get more backstory to characters in this movie. That'll make this a lot more entertaining than it, like, you know, it could be. Uh, or, or than it is for me right now. So, again, Mr. Aegis is really reluctant about doing it, but you know what he's like, okay, if you went and saw the owl and it told you to see Nicodemus, that means you need to go and see Nicodemus. So they continue on. He explains, you know, a little about Brutus. You know, he's like, oh, that's just him. He's not really any big bit of trouble, but he's still amazed that he went and saw, or that she went and saw the owl. So, we continue to watch them walk on as in journey to go see Nicodemus. And then again, we see that Nicodemus is still stalking her from his like little portal that he keeps with him. Jonathan, your wife has come at last. Perhaps now I can repay you for your kindness to me. Yet Mrs. Brisby will serve the rats of Nim far more than we her. Jenna, I fear, could do her harm. He is consumed by a lust for power. Thus far, the amulet has remained safely hidden. But if he finds it, heaven help us. So now we have this thing about this amulet, which we've never heard about before. And now it's in the scene and we see Jenner for the very first time. Who's the movie's antagonist. And really we're about halfway, maybe a little more than halfway. And we're finally seeing the bad guy of the whole freaking movie. And it's funny too, because the scene that we see him in, we've never seen like at all. And he's talking to somebody, but it happens in just a little bit. So it's almost like he's got a portent that he's got and he's able to see what's going to happen later on. Cause he knows that Jenner is a bad guy. And yet we as an audience have no clue who the fuck this guy is. You know, he, we know he's another rat because we see him. We can see that he's evil because of his coloring and the way that his face looks. We have no idea what he's talking about, but we're going to learn very, very shortly. So, 
they keep going through this magical electrical fucking wonderland and eventually they get to a spot where there looks like what seem to be like toy soldiers up on the back and as they continue walking then that's when we get to meet jonathan for the very first time who's posing as one of the toy soldiers and we also get introduced to the council reveal thy name justin you featherhead get your hands off me okay okay just a joke i didn't mean any harm the meeting's already in progress what's this all about who may I ask? Oh, yes, yes, she can be trusted. This is no stranger. My dear, may I present Justin, the captain of the guard. Justin, Mrs. Brisby. Not Mrs. Jonathan Brisby. Yes, the same. It is an honor and a privilege, my lady. If we could dispense with the formalities. How beautiful. Ma'am? Uh, the lights. They're quite lovely. Yes, they are. We've had electricity for four years now. Five. Jonathan often spoke of electricity. But you see, our shame is that we're stealing it from Farmer Fitzgibbons. Stealing? All of that is going to change. He means we're working on a plan. I mean that we have a plan. And this stealing will stop. Now, uh... Oh, oh yes, well, why did you send for me? It's Jenner. He's at it again. Oh, there blows an ill wind. He's before the council now. This time he's attacking Nicodemus openly. And the plan, no doubt. Nothing will come of it. It'll pass. Beware, boy. He's dangerous. So, before we really get into the council, I know we said we were going to meet them, but we're going to meet him in just a second. I want to talk about the way the scene is done. Because she's really amazed by everything that she's seen. She's never really seen... It's weird. She's seen electrical things because she's been in Mr. Age's place. And there was a bunch of electricity that was running around in that place. And she's also seen like what the farmer's equipment does. So she knows about the machines that run the farm and how everything is working with those machines. But she doesn't like know the whole scope of what electricity is because she probably just keeps to herself in her little cinder block out in the fucking meadow. So... You you see that there's, like, tension between Jonathan and Mrs. Brisby right at the, the beginning of it. He's kind of like this suave character, but he's not, like, a huge player. He kind of is, but he kind of isn't at the same time. Like, we meet him so late. We were meeting the rats so late. Again, I wish this would have been, like, earlier and we could have gotten a little bit more, but... We're meeting them now, and, like, he's already kind of leaning into the whole thing, and then she's just like, oh, no, it's not you. It's electricity. But that could also be, like, the electricity meaning, like, the sexual tension between them. But I don't want to turn to a fucking furry and start thinking about, well, the electricity is really hot between these two, and everything is just like, ooh, absolutely marvelous, marvelous. So uh, this is Peter Strauss, uh, who has done a ton of stuff in like television and some movies um you know he's been in from anything like the streets of san francisco he was a part of he was a part of the uh batman the animated series where he played plant man he is currently on uh gray's anatomy uh, where he plays daniel schwartz he was also in one of my favorite cartoon comedies duck man he was on that show so he's done a ton he was in 
man, Triple X, State of the Union. Man, how did I not know that he was a part of that? Biker Mice from Mars. Uh, a lot of stuff that is out there. But uh, he does the role of Jonathan really well. Like, I think you need to have somebody that can play it suave, that plays it like he's the good guy. And that's exactly the way that he plays Jonathan. Like, right away, you know, based upon the, the way the character is drawn, how he's dressed, and how the voice comes out of him, that he's definitely your main, like, besides it being Mrs. Brisby, this is probably your second hero of the movie, right? If the movie were going to be focused mostly on the rats of Nim, then it would be him. Like, that would be the person that you'd follow all the time and learn the struggles and the power struggles in between the rats. And we get to learn a little bit more as we begin to talk or listen to the council, and we get to meet Jenner fully, plus the council, for the very first time. The plan is nothing but folly, a doddering old fool's fantasy. Nicodemus would have us destroy this colony only to lead us to starvation in some wilderness. <clears throat> Good old Jenner. Wait, listen. Moving to Thorn Valley is a good plan. Fine. We have everything we need right here. You mean we steal everything we need? Oh, come on, you suspicious old goat. If we stay here, humans are bound to discover us. They'd destroy us on the spot. I agree. He's right. We'll be killed. Not if we got them first. He means war. We'd be outnumbered. There are too many of them. Hear me. The Thorn Valley plan is the aspiration of idiots and dreamers. We... <laughs> we were just talking about you. That's refreshing, Jenner. Usually you're screaming about us. <laughs> Who is that? You know the rules. There are no visitors allowed here. May I present Mrs. Jonathan Brisby? Jonathan Brisby is dead. She's not one of us. What's the meaning of this? Send her away. Let's get back to business. Wait, wait. She has been to see the great owl. He has told her that we could move the Brisby home to safety. Her home was Jonathan's home. We have urgent problems of our own. Let the lower creatures fend for themselves. Order! Order. Wait, my friend. I smell an opportunity. What? Maneuvers of this nature are dangerous. Accidents could happen. Accident? Jenner? I'll explain later. Mrs. Brisby, a thousand pardons, my dear. Forgive the ill temper of my colleague. It would be an honor to assist Jonathan's widow in any way. We are but your humble servants. So, again, like I said, when you see Jenner for the very first time, he is very imposing, right? And you can see the way that the lips curl. He's beautifully animated into, like, making you automatically associate that he is going to be the bad guy now i wish it wasn't so straightforward i think that if you had these things where when you first see him and you know because you know automatically that he's opposing nicodemus and exactly what they're going to do they're basically trying to get the rats to move out of the rosebush go somewhere else to thorn valley and then create their own society in that place that's the whole plan and that's what nicodemus wants to do because he doesn't think that it's right that they keep living off the farmer 
Jenner, on the other hand, wants to just keep life the way it is, and he believes that by staying in this position, he can get the power that he needs to overthrow Nicodemus. Now, because they need to move things, he automatically gets the sly plan of accidents will happen, and that's how he's going to gain power among the rats and be the, like the next leader of the rats, you know, after Nicodemus is dead. I wish that we didn't necessarily get it in this scene again. I know that we're kind of like moving along fast to hit these specific points, but I would have liked to see him be more of the sly trickster guy to where it looks like he's automatically totally in. You don't know of the struggles. You don't know that this stuff is there and that he like comes forth and is like, no, you know, I agree with Justin we have to do this, but he's secretly behind the scenes plotting everything, making sure that he gets that murderous intent that he's working with anti shrew. And that's exactly what he needs to do. Just make sure that they all fucking die. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. But you know, that's not what we get. We get a definite evil guy. Cause, and the thing is, is that it's not bad. It's just, this is a want from me. This isn't necessarily saying that the movie shouldn't do this. I just wish that maybe they had done something like this, but maybe that's not the character. Maybe the character, even in the books is t terrible. Like he's obviously the bad guy. We just met him a lot earlier and he devised his plan slowly, but surely. But here it just seems like, Hey, yes, they need help. I got an idea. This is how I get power. Okay, I'm totally the bad guy now. Like, that's just the way that it works. Even though, you know, we could have learned from Nicodemus that, you know, he worries about him, but more like he worries about him in his character, uh, in, in that, you know, he seems like, even though he's a good guy, he has this want for power that, you know, it could bring about like almost like this is like a star Wars type thing, you know, that this is a Vader thing where there is good in him, but he could be easily, you know, turned over to the dark side because he has this want for power and, you know, they won't have wants for powers in different ways, but he really wants control. And that's, what's going to make him the bad guy for this like film. It's just, brings a little more depth i think to the character but it doesn't necessarily need to have that depth for what we're trying to do with the film so he's an asshole because he's going to plan to kill Nic nicodemus in some way shape or form so while we're waiting for her to go over and see nicodemus we go back over to the kids and we see that auntie shrew she has captured jeremy in a bunch of string where the string came from don't fucking know. Did Jeremy bring him with him? Like, does he just dr bring string? Is that his thing? He's just like, you know what? I'm going to watch these kids and maybe there's going to be a chick around. So I better make that nest while I'm watching them. Cause once they see me and I'm happily with these kids, uh, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to get mine and I'm going to show that I'm a great father. Oh yeah. Uh, with string. I don't know how you do it, but hey, that's what bird brains are for, I guess. So she has them all tied up because she thinks that she he's in cahoots with the rats and that the rats are bad, according to Auntie Shrew, and that he's not going to, you know, he's basically going to do something to the kids. So she brings the kids over and says, hey, I need to go do something. You guys need to watch over this crow. And that's where Martin gets the good idea that maybe we should be letting the crow go. And then Jeremy proves that he's a fucking liar by telling the kids exactly what his mom is doing. Well, 
I guess we better untie him. But Martin. Hey! Mm. Mom helped a crow in the field the day before yesterday. Mm. He's trying to talk. He looks like a loony. Mm. He even took her to see the, the great owl. So? This could be the same crow. That's me, Hog. I am the crow. It's on time and quick. I can't stand it. What are you doing here? Oh, it's a good question, but don't ask. The legs. The legs. The legs. Oh, the poor turkey fell down. I'm I'm not a turkey. Your mother has... Where's our has, mother? Wait, hold it. Big no, buzzer. stop. Where's our mother? Get down with it. You better tell <laughs> You're her or I'll tie you back up. The rose bush to, to see the rats. Did you take our mother to the rats? Well, I'm going to go look for her. No, no, listen. Hold it. Wait a minute. The rats, they're friendly. Good tonight. Stay. They're coming here to move your house where it's safe. Understand? Stay. The owl said they're good and smart. Get it? You're right. He's a loony. Oh, no. Oh, don't. You must. No, no, don't. Don't, don't, don't do this. So I'm glad that their kids are as dumb as he is because he basically said the entire truth and they still didn't fucking believe him, even though they were like, she went to go see the great owl with this guy. But you know what? He is a loony after all. It's just, it's weird. It's funny. Uh, it is kind of a good scene, you know, just to give you a little bit of a break and to give you that, like bring the tension down just a little bit because we're going to go back to being super serious. I do like the interactions between Auntie Shrew and Jeremy. I just chose not to put it in the podcast. You know, it's it's basically kind of the same thing, and it comes to the same conclusion that, yeah, we should just leave him fucking tied up. Now we go back over to the Rosebush, and we see that Mr. Ages, which is funny because he, at the end of the, the actual whole scene with the council, he tells Jonathan, take her to the library to go see Nicodemus. And then when we come back, Mr. Ages is the one that has taken Mrs. Brigsby to the library to see Nicodemus. It's really weird that that's how everything turned out, but you know, it's one little piece of continuity that's odd in this movie. So she gets there and then the door opens and Nicodemus like uh, tells her to come over, and this is where we get our very first scene between the two of them. The great owl sent me to you. Oh, did he? He is a dear comrade. Closer. Ah, Mrs. Jonathan Brisby. What an honor this is. How? How is it that everyone knows Jonathan? He was a great friend to the rats of Nim. He himself came from Nim. Majesty, my family I know of your needs. There is a book there. Read the words. I can read a little. Jonathan taught me. (laughs) The children are better at it. Than I am. Read. Jonathan Brisby made possible the rat's escape from the t- terrible cruelty of Nim. Jonathan. 
He was killed. Killed today while drugging the farmer's cat, Dragon. Oh, I, I never knew just what happened. Why did he never tell me about any of you? Why? To answer that, I must tell you about Nim. And our plan. So, is it just me, or is it kind of messed up that she is basically told how her husband dies? Like, I just meet you for the very first time. We learned that the Great Owl is a friend of Nicodemus. Okay, how are they friends? When did they know each other? I still will need to know more. I really love the Great Owl. Like, I wish I knew a lot more of what that character was, as I've said multiple times in this episode. But here we are. So I learned just a little bit more of what's going on with the great owl. But like, <laughs> he's like, okay, first thing I'm going to do is make you read. I don't know if you can read. I don't know how well you can read. In fact, you know what? This is going to be a lark for me. Go ahead. Try to read. And it's going to, uh, the rats of, nah, nah, nah. Nim, Nim, uh, we're here, here. Okay. You got to read this a little faster. We got to move this along. Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan fucking died. Okay. This is, you need to learn how to read better. <laughs> you know, it's just, it seems so fucking ridiculous in the way that, that, that played out, but I get it. it you know, it's, it's something like he wants her to know the truth. And one of the reasons why that Jonathan is so well known is because Jonathan constantly helped the rats of Nim. And we're going to learn exactly, you know, why he was needed to do what he did and why Dragon was the one that killed him. But it kind of sucks at the same time that, you know, Jonathan didn't say anything to Mrs. Brigsby, his wife, that, hey, you know what? I've got to do something and there's a possibility that I'm not going to come back. Unless he was so pig-headed that he was just like, fuck, I'm smart. I know I can get away and that I'm going to survive this thing and I don't need to tell fucking anybody. And then look at you. You're fucking dead. That's where you are. You're in the ground. And in fact, I don't even know if the body came back. Probably got fucking eaten by the cat for all we fucking know. But nonetheless, so she finds that out and then she needs to know exactly why. Why? Is he so important? Why is he so well known amongst everybody out here? And that's where we go into the story of the rats of Nim. And we find out that Nim is not really a good place. Like, what we're basically going to find out in the following scene is that Nim also does scientific research and it did it on animals. And it basically is going to, you know, well, why don't we just play the scene and uh, come back and we can talk about the rats of Nim. In the beginning, we were ordinary street rats, stealing our daily bread and living off the efforts of man's work. We were captured, put in cages, and sent to a place called Nim. There were many animals there, in cages. They were put through the most unspeakable tortures to satisfy some scientific curiosity. 
Often at night, I would hear them crying out in anguish. Twenty rats and eleven mice were given injections. Our world began changing. Then, one night, I looked upon the words under the cage door and understood them. We had become intelligent. We could read. The miracle was kept secret from the scientists. And in the quiet of the night, we escaped through the ventilation system. The mice were blown away, sucked down dark air shafts to their deaths. All except to Jonathan and Mr. Ages. We were trapped by a locked door on the roof. It was Jonathan who made possible the unlocking of the door. I have a gift. Come. Jonathan meant it for you. His heart, the stone glows red. It becomes a blinding radiance. Courage of the heart is very rare. The stone has a power when it's there. Look, an inscription. You can unlock any door if you only have the key. So there you go. And you can even hear the music kind of playing in the background, which is the music of the song and the theme and everything like that. And that love is the key basically to unlock any door. Um, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but you know, it, it makes sense in the way that the film like moves along. And there's a lot of weird little things that are much, much different here. Uh, just kind of, like I said, I haven't really read the book, but I did, you know, eventually, even while I'm recording the podcast, peruse the, uh, you know, the Wikipedia of the summary of the story, and everything is basically happening much, much different, and characters disappear and shit like that. But um, it, it's just kind of interesting in the way that they, even during this little section, how scary the whole idea of what was done to the rats, right? Because they they have them beginning, they're like, we were just normal street rats, and they show them running in the street. And then when it gets to the experiments that they did on them, like, you see them getting all plugged up with the needles, like they're getting poked and injected with whatever they're being injected with. And then it's, there's this, like, crazy, like, loud music and you look at the rat on the screen and it's just like pulsating and there's a little red blip where the rat's heart would be and you see how it beats and then how the rats themselves are changing and they're like choking on like their own breath as they're being transformed into intelligent rats 
And this is what Nim was kind of really doing to to these guys is that they were just they're not necessarily you know for mental health they are an experimentation like group they try to do something new they try to make intelligent animals and that's why they're asking around right and why they want to because these rats actually escaped from their clutches and they don't want them to be found and see what they're really fucking doing so they either want to just eliminate the rats or they want to capture the rats and uh, jonathan was a mouse that was one of the two surviving mice that happened to be also experimented with the same drugs so it's not just that and, and is explained a little later in the film it's not just that they're becoming intelligent and becoming more like humans their life expectancy has also gone way up and they will live longer than any other random animal that's out there so that's something else that like jonathan didn't want to tell mrs brigsby because it's pretty you know obvious that that would ruin the relationship that they have is that he probably will see his kids grow up and die and meanwhile she's not going to be around anymore and it's going to be a lot more heartbreaking than it needs to be because i guess he still really hasn't grown that much though we never really see him at all in the movie. Like we get him just in the scene where he's like a little mouse, but we don't know necessarily know what the age is. We don't really know the age of anybody, but we just know that Nicodemus is super old because his hair is all the way down to the ground, pure white. And his eyes look like they're, you know, they're like the great owls eyes at the same time. So there's probably some type of connection between the two of them as well. So, you have this whole segment just learning about the rats. And again, it makes me want to learn even more of what actually happened there. And I'm pretty sure that it goes a little more in depth in the book than it does, you know, in this film, because we only get that little bit. And that Jonathan was the big savior of the rats, even though he's only one of the two that have survived. He is, you know, the reason that they were able to escape at all because he was small enough to get out there and unlatch the last gate and let everybody escape from the sewers and escape the clutches of Nim. So Nicodemus says, okay, well, we need to start moving and I'm going to tell you about the plan and how we can move your house. Why don't you just come along with me? And that's when we cut over and we see Jenner who, you know, he's just still a fucking bitch and what his exact plan to get rid of nicodemus is i don't get it <laughs> with nicodemus out of the way what's to stop us from taking over jenner you can't kill nicodemus no taste for blood huh? <laughs> they've taken the animal out of you what if we're discovered ah, listen the brisby house is a large cement block in the moving, what if it should fall? An accident? Of course. Cut the lines, and the weight of it will crush his bones. It's risky. Once rid of Nicodemus, the plan will die. We can stay here as long as we like. What, what about Justin? Leave him to me. So the big difference between Jenner here and Jenner in the original story is that Jenner, based upon the summary that I read, right, I don't know the whole full thing, is that Jenner, he 
actually took a group of rats away from here to make their own colony kind of like, you know, and still kind of try to, you know, take over everything, but they didn't agree with what the plan was and the way that they were living their life. And so he took these rats to live somewhere else where here it's more of like a struggle for power. Like they just made him the, the big bad boss guy where he's like living within the society, but he's trying to convince everybody that lives in this rat society that they just need to keep doing what they're doing. Not necessarily that, you know, the, what their plans are or that they're trying to move away or whatever they're trying to do is the wrong thing. And just, stay inside the rosebush. So it's a little bit different, but he's still kind of the antagonist that you got going on here. And his plan actually is pretty good. Like in, for some reason, Nicodemus is going to be out there. Don't know why, like he could just stay back, but he wants to be there for some reason. And I think it's because he knows that Jenner is going to kill him and he might as well just go with the plan rather than staying behind because Jenner will kill him there. And if he kills him out there, then he can still get rid of Jenner because he obviously has some way to see the future. And, you know, he knows that eventually Jenner will be stopped. So might as well just go with it because maybe Jenner can't be stopped, you know, with him staying behind, then Jenner's just going to go up there and kill him. And that's going to be it when all the rats are trying to help Mrs. Brigsby move the house. So we see them as they, they go a little more further, like they go under the old mill and they're taking her to the spot where she can go back to the house to make the preparations for everything to go, you know, according to plan. And they explained how, you know, Jonathan died because of this plan that they're trying to move to Thorn Valley. And the only way that they can do it is if they drug Dragon the cat, right? Drug him, make him sleep, and then they could just all move before anything is noticed. And then they can live in a farming society and create their own like human-like society out somewhere in the fields. And that's Jonathan tried to drug the cat but he didn't make it. And the reason that they can't do it is because the hole that would get them into the house is too small for a rat and only a mouse can fit in it. And so that's why Mr. Ages, who tried it as well, he hurt his leg trying to do the same thing, but luckily he didn't survive. Because when we met him for the second time, and something that I didn't say, but you can kind of hear, he has a cast on his leg. And so he's not very mobile and he can't do it again. So... They get to their location and, you know, Mrs. Brisby, she just all of a sudden has the thought in her head that maybe she's the one that can do this. We shall wait here until dark. Uh, about dragon, maybe? Oh, nothing. Goodbye. Oh. I volunteer for Dragon. Oh, no, Mrs. Brisby. Nicodemus, this is no job for her. Please. As you wish. All right. I'll meet you at the west side of the farmhouse at dusk. Oh, thank you. Oh, I must be crazy. Goodbye. I must be crazy. So she has this feeling like this, since they're doing this... And Mr. Ages can't do it. And she owes them something that for them to complete their plan, 
and to help her because not only do they need to have dragon drugged so they can move the house they also need him drugged so that they can leave the rosebush and actually you know be separate like i said before so it's kind of a brave thing that she's doing also nicodemus has given her that red locket that they talked about where it had the inscription on the back that love is the key so she has that with her and she i guess what we don't get to see in this little scene you know or in between these two scenes is her going back home getting auntie shrew to take care of the kids and get them ready for the big move and you know well she tells the kids and there's a scene with auntie shrew where auntie shrew doesn't really believe that the rats are actually coming to help it's really weird because she why is she there like why is she there taking the kids you know unless miss brigsby just said hey we're gonna help but the kids know exactly what's going on when we see the little scene uh it's so it's it's just odd that she's like still not believing that the rats are coming but the rats eventually do come and then she's like the rats and it's just weird like i I don't know why we have this scene in here and jeremy somehow is no longer anywhere to be seen so they must have just let him go and he's off somewhere or miss bigsby came back and let him go she does run into him as she's trying to go home and basically tells him to get him off because again he's thinking with his dick a little bit more when he sees the sparkling and you know tells him that hey you need to go get me a bunch of string because the rat's going to help and go bring the string and help them so that way they have better ways to lift the, the their house out of where they're at and move it to the location that they need to be. And so like that scene is, it's kind of funny, but it's not really important to the where everything's going to go. And maybe that's how the kids know too because the crow went back and told the kids what's going on and then you know, said, get Auntie Shrew to watch you. I don't really know like these little scenes i wish we could have just faded over to what was happening next which is mrs brigsby going to drug the cat and so she arrives at the spot with jonathan she leaves behind her cloak and the the red stone uh and you know he basically tries to give her words of encouragement but you can see that she's really really scared and who wouldn't be i mean that cat is fucking huge compared to what you are and you've got to run on over there and you've got to dump this drug into the cat food and then somehow get back in enough time so that you're not fucking seen and when she does it the the camera work is really frantic it's very shaky you see her and her panicking and the way that she's moving that you know she she's able to get the drugs inside and then when she gets out she can barely get out of the food dish like she runs into it and falls into it and then it's like swimming in a ball pit right when you're like in the center of the ball pit and you're trying to get back but you just keep sinking down to the ball pit and you're like oh no this is going to be my home for the rest of my life and then you realize well yeah you can actually just kind of swim and then make your way out of it right so she gets out of it and before she gets back to the hole uh the the farmer and uh you know the his wife their son captures whose half name happens to be billy again it's just a very generic name billy uh, I don't know why that bugs me, but that fucking bugs me for some reason. So he captures her and asks, always oh, say, don't let Dragon in just yet. Can I keep her? And the mom's like, all right, you can keep the rat, like the mouse. Like, wouldn't she be worried about it? Like you're catching a stray mouse and the, the boy's just like, I guess boys like mice. 
Is that the way it works? Was I supposed to like rodents when I was a kid? Because I fucking hated rodents. Not like I'm scared of them. I just don't want to keep them. Like, oh, look, a mouse. Cool. All right. Well, I got a dog and, you know, I got a cat. I- I'm happy with those. Like, why do I need a fucking mouse? Well, I guess, you know, you can't really play with cats because they're lazy sons of bitches. But that's just the way it goes. So the mom says, okay. And Justin, he's just like, fuck. I can't believe we messed this part up. Like, the cat's going to be drugged. I guess when we're done, we'll just make sure to come back and get you, and we'll save you after everything is done. And then just ditches her there to go ahead and join everybody else to move the house. And then you kind of have this, like, back and forth between the, the rats working and moving the house and then Mrs. Brigsby, and she overhears something in the kitchen when there's a phone call in the middle of the night, and that somebody is coming to basically take out the rats. I'm coming, I'm coming, hold your horses. Hello? Who? Nim. Oh, oh yeah, Nim. Yes, yes, I know, you called about the rats. I don't know nothing about any special behavior, but... The traps sure don't work in the morning. Suits me fine. No, 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 you can bulldoze that rose bush right out of there. I want those rats exterminated. Now, well, there's no charge or anything. Good. Okay, well. I'll see you in the morning. Uh huh. Bye bye. Yeah. You're coming here. I must warn Justin. So there's now a struggle with Mrs. Brigsby here and she's trying to figure out how to get out. And she does a really good job of like not being as smart as the rats are, but she still figures out that she can get out from underneath. Well, first she tries to, you know, there's like a metal twist tie that holds the cage together. And when she does that, she actually cuts her arm and she puts it under the water and she sees that there's actually an opening on the other side. So she keeps running against the cage and then doing like jump kicks at the little water dish so that it moves out more to the point that she can get out of it and go and warn the rats that Nim is coming. Meanwhile, on the work site, they've got the the home all latched up. They've raised it up in the air, and the rain has just started to come down, so there's mud, like, everywhere. And then, finally, when the home gets over the top of Nicodemus, that's when Jenner and his little crony there decide to cut the lines. But the crony can't do it. Like, he can't kill Nicodemus. He's just not made for this type of thing. But Jenner, of course, he just wants to continue with what they got and the power that, that he can have. And so he cuts the lines and crushes poor old Nicodemus. And, you know, him himself, he can just fuck right off there. Like, they all run over. They see that Nicodemus is dead. And they all kind of, like, you know, solemnly bound you know, their heads and that's when Jenner starts to address everybody and basically say what we need to do now. He's trying to take charge. And that's when Mrs. Brigsby shows up to tell them what exactly is going to happen. Friends, we cannot move the Brisby home. We, we just can't leave it here in the mud. The equipment is a shambles. One day we shall journey to Thorn Valley, just as Nicodemus wanted. But not now. Justin! This is Brisbane. Come, let us return to the Rosebush, where we belong. Oh, Mr. H's. What happened? Oh, the 
children. Well, no, they're fine. Nicodemus is dead. Oh. You're in great danger. Nim is coming. Come, come, let's return to the rose bush. Nim is coming. Nim? In the morning. Nim? Yes. You will all die unless you leave the farm tonight. Lies. Please, you must believe me. What if it's true? We'll all be killed. Don't panic. Don't listen. She's hysterical. Get out now. Ah! You get out. I've had enough. Jenna. And it's absolutely nuts. I love the way the scene is done here because with the the pouring rain and the way that, you know, Jenner looks on the center of the thing and the way that he's addressing everybody, it's just really foreboding. You know, the, the sky is dark because the clouds have set in and he's there and everybody's just kind of like, okay, I guess we'll just have to wait to do everything and we're just going to leave the family here. Like, he has, you know, good reasons though like all the equipment's damaged they can't really do anything so we're just gonna leave you know them there and whatever happens to them happens to them we can try later but really he's not really gonna try anything at all but all the rats are just like okay yeah that's just the way that we're gonna do these things it's it's kind of odd nobody really speaks up and is just like no this isn't the right thing to do they're just like well okay yeah i guess so not until mrs brigsby comes by and says that nim is coming then all of a sudden they fucking panic and they're like no we don't want to go back there which is completely understandable because if i was experimented on i wouldn't want to go to any fucking place like be put back in cages and because now all of a sudden we're super intelligent they're gonna do a lot more than just stick us with more needles they're probably gonna kill us and try to examine our bodies bodies and figure out exactly why we became the way that we are and now because of this panic that's setting in we see that jenner he's starting to become unhinged right because this is going to ruin his plans as well if nim is really coming there's nothing they can do you would think in the back of his head i don't want to go back there either but at the same time there he's like i'm going to lose all my power if they believe her so let's go and attack her and that's when he starts to attack her and you get that really great snarl that happens at the end of it i love the way that sounds and it's it's so animalistic and you really get that out of the character as he goes after her. of course justin steps in and he starts to have a sword duel with jenner eventually you know they fight on the rocks and it's almost like they're fighting on a giant mountainside like the perspective of everything is really well done uh and eventually you know justin learns that jenner caused the whole thing like he didn't think at the same time like how power hungry he is that maybe he had a hand in it and that he went crazy and then finally he's like it was you and then jenner's like yes of course it was me i'm the bad guy you should have known it was me already how stupid are you i thought you were an intelligent rat but yes i killed nicodemus and he does manage to like you know he's first trying to fight him off with a stick right that's what justin soon uses in a stick and then the crony sullivan he throws the sword over to justin and jenner kills poor sullivan well he slices him across the chest which we assume is going to kill him and eventually justin gets the upper hand by you know lots of parries and eventually he gets a thrust when he's trying to do an overhead chop and that you know basically ends jenner for now like he's wounded and so he's lying there wounded 
we have Justin, he starts to address the crowd, and he said, you know what? We have to go to Thorn Valley. That's it. If Nim's coming, we can't take the chance. Even if they're not coming, we need to get away from there because if they are, that's going to be it. They're going to kill everybody and erase the rats of Nim in our existence, right? Nobody's going to ever know that we even existed, not even you know the animals around here. So as he's giving his speech, his good guy speech, you know, Jenner climbs to the top of the rocks and he raises his sword in the air and everybody looks at him like, oh my God, he's going to jump slash at fucking Justin and kill him. It's not like he can't get out of the way. And Sullivan, as his last act of bravery before he dies, he has a dagger, he throws it and he backstabs that son of a bitch and he ends up killing Jenner. And that is the end of our antagonist for the movie. Now, the house is there. Mrs. Brigsby is crying because she knows the kids are there. There's nothing that she can do. And all of a sudden, the land around the house starts bubbling up and it starts sinking. The house starts sinking. And so it starts filling with mud. There's a comedic scene where during the move, uh, Auntie Shrew gets knocked out. And now she's like moving around the house as it's sinking. And eventually, you know, it starts going way deep into the mud and they try to retie everything, both Miss Brigsby and Justin, and they try to lift it up, but it's too much for the rats to handle. All the equipment breaks even further and the house sinks into the mud. But Mrs. Brigsby loses the amulet that Jenner, for some reason, he really wanted. We don't know. I don't know if that's also a power struggle thing or he knows exactly what it can do, but it's there in the mud and then it raises up and when mrs brigsby goes to grab it like it's right in front of her it burns her hands and it falls into the mud and there's like the really cool fire effect that comes around the amulet and she reaches into the mud and she realizes the only way that she can save the kids is by using the power that's within it grabs it it flows through her body and she's able to get the house out of the mud and move it to the location that it needed to be in which is crazy because if the whole house filled with mud, where did it come in from and how did it easily get out of there? Wouldn't the kids have all been like drowned in mud? Like I'm going to drown all you bitches in my gravy. I mean mud. Uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, they're, you know, they got moved. The mud is out of there. And then we wake up for the next day and everybody is happy. And we get to see Jeremy arriving on late to the scene. And of course, Thinking with his dick. Mama, I'm tired, Dad. I want to get up. Well, you're not getting up. Miss Briz? Oh, Briz, where are you? Over here. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> I brought the whole mess. There's plenty more where this came from, too. I got connections. <laughs> hey, your house is moved. Oh, no. What am I going to do with all this string? You'll think of something. Uh, what's the use? What's a guy like me gonna do with a love nest anyway? <gasps> Excuse me, Excuse pardon me. Pardon me. Look, mommy, another turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Stay right there. Miss Briz! Miss Briz! Let me have the sparkly! I gotta have the sparkly! Miss B, I gotta have it. Girls can't resist a sparkly. Oh, please. Please. I gave it to Justin. Justin? Who the heck is Justin? The leader of the rats. The leader of the rats. How could you do this to me? 
What'll I say, Mrs. B? Well, I do. Well, just be, um, be athletic. Ah, that's right. Athletic. So he manages to get his Mrs. Wright, and, or Miss Wright, and that's exactly the name of the character in the movie, too. Another crow, as clumsy as he is, flies into him as he's walking back into the brush and knocks into him, and, like, automatically, they're in love with each other. What? Like, where the fuck did that come from? It doesn't make any sense how all of a sudden she shows up and that's like the perfect crow for him. And that's going to be the big thing for him to end the movie. It's so odd that we have to have some type of ending thing for him where he finally gets his. You know, like, I don't necessarily need to know anything about the crow and that the crow is actually doing what he needs to do, that he got his woman and everything like that. I wish he had shown up during the big climactic, like, sequence you know, with whatever he did and maybe he screwed up or maybe he actually didn't screw up and actually tried to save the kids, but he also wasn't strong enough. It would have been great. Like we could have actually had a heroic moment for him, but instead we don't, we just get the little bit of comedic like ending for the character. His whole story is done. He went starting trying to get a bitch and he got a bitch at the end of the movie. <laughs> it's just, that's the way that things roll. So now they're all happy. There's two turkeys in love with each other. We see also we hear in the beginning that Timothy, he's feeling better, but he can't get out of there because he's still sick. He's got to stay in his place. They somehow now have a lake to where they are. Like they got set in the perfect place too. It's all green after the day, like the next day. And cause she's getting her hands bandaged by her oldest daughter. And that means it has to be the next day, and all of a sudden the whole land is completely green, and everything's wonderful and nice, but, you know, that's just the way these things roll. So, they're there, they have everything that they need, they've saved the day, Miss Brisby has saved the day, and they've, you know, the rats have now moved on, and so we get the last little bit of dialogue in the film, and then our ending credits. Rats really go to Thorn Valley. Yes, they did. Will we ever see them? Perhaps. Today. Oh, when you're older. Rest oh, Auntie Shrew. Oh, Auntie. Oh, no. So that was The Secret of Nim. Does it still hold up? I think so. I think I still really enjoyed the movie. I didn't expect it to be like, 
I, I didn't expect to want more out of it than I used to. I think when I saw this as a kid, as, and even as I grew up, and I didn't really look things as objectively as I have done in the last, Jesus Christ, almost six years doing this show, that I I didn't know I wanted more out of it. I just you know really enjoyed it, and I still really enjoyed it. I just know that there's more that I want of this. Now, there is a sequel, and stay the fuck away from the sequel. It is awful like they just throw a bunch of things out of the fucking way and it's just filled with fucking garbage like it it was definitely a cash grab like they thought and it was done so much later than the original movie like the second one came out like sometime in like the 2000s which is really 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 ridiculous like it's something that it's and it's Timmy to the rescue. It's like when they're older. You know, it had a budget of $6 million as well. Oh, it was released in 1998. I'm sorry. So still 16 years after the original movie, we have a really, really, really terrible sequel uh, that, you know, there's some returning characters and, you know, ugh, Ralph Macchio plays uh, Timmy in the movie. And Dom DeLuise does come back as Jeremy as well. But it's still not, uh, it's still not worth it. There's also a thing about Martin being corrupted. He's played by Eric Idle. It's it's just it's terrible. It's it's terrible. They got a big voice cast on it. Got you know because Harvey Corman is in it. William H Macy. You know it, it's definitely got a voice cast, but it's it's just nowhere near the quality that this movie is. So, you know if if it's is it something that. I think that the younger generations would like. I do. This is one of those movies where I feel there is still a sweet spot uh, that eventually it's just not going to work for a kid, um, especially as they start getting into their preteens and teens. But I think overall there there are scary moments in the movie. There's the great owl. There's the scene with a spider. There's the scene with um, you know Brutus or you know not not the barber beefcake, but you know <laughs> the the rat when he's attacking Mrs. Brigsby. And even the scenes with Dragon can be a little intense. But it's still such a wonderful story that I think that everybody it's it's a film that everybody can watch together, and it really kind of is that like break in between adult animated movie and kids movie at the same time there's plenty that both sides will really love and that uh you know the movie in general is going to be something that you can enjoy and show and it really will like lead into like the dark fantasy like if the kids like this then it's probably time to move forward into things like the dark crystal and stuff like that that are darker films uh with some adult themes but in general it's still not where you know you can i don't know <laughs> be worried that the kids are are not going to enjoy the movie or be too scared of the movie maybe that's where i'm going so there is a little bit i i would say this one we gets a one on gore cuz there is some blood right there is blood towards the end of it there's the bones and stuff like that that might be a little intense but it's nothing that you know a normal horror movie uh watcher is really going to worry about and then the craft factor it's two out of five um it's the pacing pacing is really fast and like i said 
I do agree with the statement that there are some characters that are brought in that are minor characters that just kind of leave that don't necessarily need to be there. Auntie Shrew is somebody that's supposedly, at least based upon the summary, is not in the book that I can see. She might be in the book, just not in the capacity that she is in the movie. I will make that statement. You can do without Jeremy, though he's a big part of the book as well. Um, and you could, you know, at least for this movie, you could have even done without the great owl stuff, even though the scene is really cool and it's really fun. Uh, fun factor. I give it a four out of five because it's still magical to me. I still enjoy the, the animation is an absolutely beautiful when they're in the rap place and they go into a lantern and they drop into the water to get to the next section. While that scene is kind of unrealistic in a way, and I get it, it's a movie, like, because when the, the the thing closes, it closes on the rope and looks like it cuts the rope, but it doesn't. The rope is enough to plug the holes so the water on the bottom of the, like, the of whatever, the lake or whatever they're using, can go away, but the top water still stays there perfectly fine. That is a little ridiculous, but it's beautifully animated. And even the way that all the animals move, they move very realistically, especially for 82. The Great Owl is a beautiful piece of art. Uh, the, you know, even Nicodemus and the way that he moves in his design, like the design of everything is absolutely beautiful. So it's a lot of fun. Overall, I'm going to give this uh four out of five dirty owls and it's, it's so much fun. I, I know I could actually, I thought about giving it a three, but I also realized that the enjoyment entertainment I got out of it, you know, Unlike The Last Unicorn, where I felt like I was smiling the whole time, and that wasn't necessarily, but it's still something that holds up and it reminds me of a better time. So my nostalgia, you know, bumps it up one, not necessarily a better time, but a younger time. Let's use that. That's better. So I think that you guys should watch it. It's not really available on many streaming platforms. It was, it used to be on HBO Max, and then this has also been taken off. Uh, you can find it on YouTube if you really want to find it. Otherwise, you're probably going to rent it somewhere. Uh, and I think it was on somebody's service somewhere, but you need to have like a premium subscription to something else. And this is something that, you know, I personally own. So it's worth having the watch. So. Next time, let's talk about the next thing that we're going to watch. And we're going to go into a sci-fi month, okay? And we're going to actually go into a themed sci-fi month because I originally had a movie and then I thought, eh, it's not something that I necessarily want to watch. Um, but, uh, and then I was talking to Dave about sci-fi movies and he suggested something that I was like, wait, why don't we, I do Hollow Man? Uh, because it's also done by Paul Verhoeven, uh, who is going to be the last movie of the month as well. So before we get into that movie, uh, let's do Hollow Man. Good morning, sir. Your team's in early today. Something special going on? Sorry, Ed. You know the rules. If we're going to move forward, this is the next logical step. We're ready for you. Here goes nothing. Sebastian, are you in here? So, what's it like being a ghost? Ghosts are dead. I'm very much alive. The question is, what would you do if you knew you couldn't be seen? You trust your eyes. 
You rely on your senses. Sebastian, this is not funny. You think you're alone. Why did you have to go out in public? You have no idea what it's like. The power of it, the freedom. It's amazing what you can do when you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore. But after he's got you... Tell us where you are. Sorry, Linda. You'll never be sure again. <laughs> this season... He could be here. He could be anywhere. There's more to fear... than you can see. You have no idea how much fun this is. That's right. We're going to look at the Elizabeth Shoe, Kevin Bacon, and Josh Brolin uh, driven vehicle, Hollow Man, to do uh, the beginning of our little sci fi, sci fi horror month. So this definitely lands a little more in the sci fi horror than just the straight sci fi. So. I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. I have not seen this movie in years. There's one big thing I remember about the movie, and it's part of that question of what would you do if you were invisible? And the things that he does, I'm just like, is that the only thing that you want to fucking do? Is that it? That's the only thing? Uh, so I don't have high hopes about watching this movie again. It's currently available on Hulu. If you have a Hulu subscription, you can watch it for free. Otherwise it's available for rent in a lot of different places. So, uh, next week there will be a brand new, uh, the podcast from another world. So make sure that you check that out when it drops. Uh, we have that there readily available for you and it'll be coming out next Saturday, uh, along with all the other stuff. And uh, don't forget that uh, I'm still having problems with Twitter, <laughs> which sucks uh, that the podcast account has been taken down. Uh, it's been suspended for some reason. Don't know why. Nobody's told me. Still fucking pissed. I'll still try to reach out to their support, but they ain't answering shit because a ton of people got suspended. And we all know the reasons why they probably got suspended and how I got looped into that bunch of you know people. I don't fucking know. It sucks. Uh, but make sure that you still follow the podcast out there on all of the different socials. For the time being, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, and that'll be at my personal at Tolbert T Zero Zero L B E R T. Facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast, Instagram, terrible terror podcast, YouTube, terrible terror podcast, and uh, also don't forget to check out the SIP network on SIPnet.us. I thank you guys all for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time for Hollow Man. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.